Today, we'll be looking at Christ's being seated at the right hand of God as we discuss it in the Apostles' Creed, moving our way through the Apostles' Creed. And we'll be looking at the impact that Christ's being seated at the right hand of God has on His church, His position of glory, His position of authority. And so we will be reading from Acts chapter 9, the verses 1 to 25, and then going through the questions and answers regarding this article of the Apostles' Creed in Lord's Day 19. So first of all, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 25. In this chapter, you see uh, being led, in the chapters that lead up to it, you see First of all, in chapter 7, the murder of the first martyr of the church, Stephen. And you see the work of the devil trying to crush the young church. And then in chapter 8, you see the work of the Holy Spirit in contrast with that in the work of the uh, conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch by the Holy Spirit through Philip. And then again, we're brought back to the devil who is trying to destroy the church. This apostle Paul stood by during that murder of Stephen and now he continues his work against the church. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 25. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, the way being followers of Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. 
for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on them, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me, that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Paul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him, let him down through the wall in a large basket. So far, the word of God. This Jesus Christ, who was the last one to be seen in blazing glory by, the last person to be seen in his blazing glory by the martyr Stephen as he was being stoned to death, and the same Jesus Christ who appeared in this same blazing glory is now described to us in Lord's Day 19. We read there, which you can find on page 533 of your book of praise. We read there, why is it added and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church, through whom the Father governs all things. How does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, today, we read about the transformation of a man who is being used as an instrument of the devil. He wasn't always this way. Raised in the faith, he was born a Jew of the people of Israel, who circumcised on the eighth day, following the law, knowing the law, being raised in the law. It was on his lips, it was in his heart, in Philippians 3, we hear how he was described as a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning a law, the law of Pharisee, 
one of the members of the strictest sects who held fast to it. He considered himself a very good person back in the day. In fact, he was so convinced of his goodness and of the righteousness of his cause that he was willing to stand by as Stephen, the martyr, was stoned to death. But more than that, he was willing to not just be passive, but actively go against the church of God. And so he went to the chief priests and the leaders, and he asked for paperwork so that he could go off to persecute the church. He was willing to go to towns and cities outside of Judea, to even Damascus, like our passage today, to arrest them and to drag them back, bound before the Sanhedrin. His past, among other things, what was eventually what caused him to say to his student, Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He was used as a tool of the devil. And the devil delighted that this man who was so steeped in God's word would go against God's church and be used so effectively. But he was transformed. Christ chose him for work in his kingdom. Jesus appeared to Paul in all of his glory. Seated at the right hand of God, he was clothed in glory, and he appeared to the Apostle Paul in this blazing glory, demanding his allegiance as an instrument that he would use to reach the nations. Yes, Christ himself chose him. And the same Jesus Christ has chosen you if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've had struggles with this. Who am I to talk to people about Christ? Who am I to teach my children, to speak to my friends at school or young people's Bible study? Who am I to reach out to my neighbors? I'm not an eloquent person. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know that about me. I don't even have the training. But the choosing of the Apostle Paul for service in the kingdom of God is a reminder to all of us that it's not man who rules, it's Christ. And so I want to look at two verses in particular in our passage today that highlight the rule of Christ as we confess it in Lord's Day 19. If you look with me to Acts 9, verse 15 to 16 for a moment, we read there, But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. And so we'll examine our passage today in light of the Heidelberg Catechism under the following theme and points. Chosen vessels of our ruling Lord. And we'll see first of all instruments in his hand and secondly instruments equipped for service. So we read here that the Apostle Paul, despite everything that he had done, despite his murderous threats and actions, 
was the chosen vessel of God to bring his name before kings and Gentiles and the nations. But what do those words actually mean, a vessel? A vessel is a container that's used to carry something from one point to another. You can have the picture of water being carried from a well to a dry field in a clay pot. The pot is not the source of that life-giving water, but it's the tool that's used for the job. In the same way, an instrument, which is the other way that this word can be translated, a vessel or an instrument, it's a tool that's used for a job. You who are working in the construction industry, you know that it's important to have good quality tools. But they don't need to be flashy or new. Many of you likely picked up deals from garage sales this summer. And as long as the tool was in good working condition, you were more than happy with it because you know that the skill lies in the worker and not in how new or flashy the tool itself looks. The language of being an instrument or a chosen vessel is the language that God uses for the Apostle Paul. God has chosen him to work in this world. And it's pretty incredible to think about. We know that God works in this world. He changes people's hearts. Where people are apathetic, where they care little, he brings life. Where people are struggling, he brings comfort. Where people are dead, he brings the conviction of sin, powerfully moving and transforming them. But he doesn't just change people's hearts. He works through instruments. There are people out there who don't know the truth. They haven't opened their Bibles, or even if they have, they haven't opened them to places where it speaks into their lives. They haven't had it explained to them how this part of what God's Word says or that part of what God's Word says reaches them speaks to them. And so in connection with this, the Holy Spirit tells us in Romans 10, how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? This is what it meant for the Apostle Paul to be a vessel in the hands of the Lord. The Apostle Paul was the one called to bring living water from the flowing fountain that is Christ. This is what it means to be an instrument in the hands of the Lord. The Lord uses people to reach out to bring the gospel message. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is ruler over all, as we confessed it in the Heidelberg Catechism here when we were reading it. He is the one who is in control, and he's the one who has had all authority placed under his feet. This is how he appeared to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, as Lord, as the one who's ruler over all. But though he could choose to work in this world, moving people here, moving people there, transforming them in an instant, God chooses to use people in his work of redemption. 
He chooses to involve people as his instruments to bring this gospel message to those who are out there, to answer their questions and to bring on them the conviction of sin. The Apostle Paul was chosen to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. And you and I, as God's chosen people, are also chosen to this task. Now, often people struggle with a thought, as we saw before, who am I? Who am I to do this? That would have especially been the case with the Apostle Paul. Up till 30 seconds ago, I was just persecuting the church. I was going out there binding them and bringing them back in order for them potentially to be put to death. I've arrested and jailed and stoned their friends, relatives, and loved ones. Who am I to share the gospel? And it wasn't just the Apostle Paul himself. It was also those who were around the Apostle Paul who were asking this question. And Ananias, who was told by God to heal Paul, he doubted him too. When he was told to go to Paul, he protested saying, Lord, don't you know, don't you have any idea who this man is? Just to remind you, this is what he's done. If it was up to Paul, if it was up to the world, he would not have been considered the instrument for the job. But here is where it's such a beautiful thing That nature of being an instrument is such a beautiful thing. It's God who calls. And it's God who does the work. This man is my chosen instrument to go to the nations. This is something that Paul never forgot. The fact that he is a tool in the hands of the Lord beyond this point, and that it's God who's carrying out all the work, is what led him to say in his first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 3, verses 6 to 7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The tool... It's just the one who's being used. It's not up to the vessel to be the water. The person who handles the vessel takes care of that part. He is the one who pours it out and fills the field with living water. The job of the person, the person themselves, they strive and they equip themselves as best as they are able to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. But it's the Redeemer himself, it's Jesus Christ, the head of the church, who uses the instrument. The power isn't in your hands. You may not think that you are the instrument for the job, but our Lord Jesus can and he does choose even the most unlikely of people to carry out his will and to carry out his word in the world. The skill lies in the worker and not in the tool. And we are tools in the hands of the master craftsman, Jesus Christ. This brings us to our second point. Instruments equipped for service. (coughs) 
One of the beautiful things about being an instrument in the hands of Jesus Christ is that he is the one who has the power and the authority to give us everything we need. That was one of the benefits that Jesus obtained for us when he ascended into heaven and he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Paul may not have thought much of himself immediately after his conversion, and the people around him definitely didn't think much of him immediately after his conversion. But God still gave him everything that was needed to do his job as an instrument in the hands of his Savior and his Lord. God the Son equips you for service. And the Lord's Day in our Heidelberg Catechism makes that very clear for us. We read in question and answer 51 that his position of glory benefits us or helps us in two ways. First, by his Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. And second, by his power, he defends and he preserves us against all enemies. Now, leaving aside the second point for today, let's focus on that first part. He pours out heavenly gifts on us, his members. This is the reality that Christ's ascension has bought for us. We get things from him. But as we share in the benefits that he pours out on us, we recognize that we don't just get them for no reason. We get them from Jesus Christ in heaven in order to also be equipped to be better instruments in his kingdom to carry out his will. Paul was given a new lease on life when he was thrown off of his horse on the Damascus Road. He was granted salvation by Jesus Christ. He had this revealed to him in a way that no other Christian in his day had it revealed to him. He was also granted a specific set of gifts that were given to him even from an early age. A good education, a thorough knowledge of the law, the ability to speak more languages than most others in the Roman world, being born a Roman citizen. All of these things became an opportunity for him to be further involved with the spreading of the kingdom of Christ. But it wasn't just Paul who was equipped. To each Christian, grace is given, with some being given more and some being given less. The Apostle Paul himself acknowledges this in Ephesians 4 verse 12. Now we recognize that these gifts look different in everyone and everyone is given different measures of these gifts, but no one is given nothing. Like Jesus' parable of the ten talents, we're all given something according to our ability. And then the master of the house comes back and says, what have you done with what I've given you? How will you act as my instrument in this world with the gifts I've poured out on you? Reflecting on that, we're brought to ask ourselves the question then, so what can I do? How can I nurture and grow these gifts that have been given, in, given to me? Well, for that, we can look to what happened to the Apostle Paul after his conversion. And this is something that actually doesn't show up in the narrative here in Acts 9, but it's something we learn about later in Galatians 1 verse 17. The Apostle Paul himself did not immediately go to Jerusalem 
and present himself as a messenger of the gospel after this Damascus Road experience. Instead, he went into the Arabian wilderness to study, to learn, and to make sense of who Jesus Christ was, to equip himself for the task that lay ahead of him, to look to the Lord, to equip him for the task that lay ahead of him. And these two things, working hand in hand, what God has poured out on him. Now, this is an encouragement for us as we look to act as instruments in the world, knowing that God grants seasons to ground ourselves in who Christ is as our Savior. Being firmly rooted and established in Him is key to growing as instruments in His hand. God gives us these seasons as a gift. If you are a Christian in this kind of season of life where it's quiet and where you are being grounded in Christ, make the most of it. It's God's gift to you. But how do we go about doing that? How do we make the most of such seasons? We have God's word fully and divinely laid out for us here. And in his word, God the Holy Spirit tells us in 1 Peter 3, verse 15 to 16, how we can equip ourselves to be effective instruments in his kingdom. Let's take a look at that that passage for a moment. 1 Peter 3, verses 15 to 16. Page 1393 of your pew Bible. So what do we read here? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. You can be assured that the thoughts that are brought forward in this passage would have been would have been a focus for the Apostle Paul as well during this time. And there are three things in particular that I want to draw your attention to in this passage. First, we're called to sanctify the Lord our God in our hearts. This is a call to set aside God in your heart as special. You boys and girls, you may have a toy that you like more than anything else. Maybe it's a model car that you don't want to get scratched, or it's a doll or an action figure that you want to keep as special, to keep as separate. You'll, you'll take that thing that you like so much and you'll put it in a special place, won't you? You don't want people to step on it, to scratch it, damage it, to end up having it thrown out with the trash when your mom walks over it for the 18th time in the living room. Well, the Bible tells us to do this with God, to sanctify Him in our hearts. But instead of putting Him in a special place on a shelf, we are told to put Him in a special place within our hearts. We are told to recognize Him as Lord. And that's what we confessed once again here today, to recognize Jesus Christ as he is ruling at the right hand of God, to recognize him in his position of authority and his position of power looking out over the church. Now, for us adults, this might seem pretty common sense. 
But it's amazing how uncommon this actually is when we think about it. How often do we set aside time for God in our day? In, in prayer, in personal devotions, just talking to God and listening to Him. How often do we do that? That's the most important part of striving to equip ourselves and be equipped as His instruments, making the most of the gifts He's poured out on us. Because if you don't treat your ascended and your reigning Lord, Jesus Christ, as someone who is special to you, if you don't treat Him in that way, how can you expect somebody else to treat Him in that way when you share who He is with them? Second, we're called always be prepared to give a defense. This ties into the first, spending time in the Word of God. It means a lifetime of learning and study. It doesn't have to be all kinds of apologetics and theological textbooks, but each of us should strive to be involved in God's Word, to know what it says, and to know how it speaks to the world today, each according to our ability. We have time for social media. We have time for movies and for other entertainment. In fact, we have more free time today than any other point of history has had. We have time for equipping ourselves. And last of all, we fight for a good conscience. We fight against sin, fighting to remove it from our lives, being, becoming image bearers of Christ. Not because we earn anything by it, but because we can take away a stumbling block, every reason for mocking from those who are around, that we may win our neighbors for Christ. But above all of this, beloved, above all of this, we need to remember who we are, and we need to remember whose we are. You are doing these things not so that you may belong. You're not doing this in order to earn that position. But you are doing this because you belong. You are, as those who believe in Jesus Christ, you are his chosen vessel. You do these things because you have a Savior who loves you and who cares for you. Let this knowledge light a fire inside of you that you may seek to work in his kingdom, that you may pray that he would work through you as a powerful instrument in this world, in whatever area you're placed in. For the apostle Paul, this fire that the Holy Spirit lit in him turned his zeal for persecuting the church into a zeal for the spread of his kingdom. For you, it gives the opportunity to turn your most consuming part of your life into your pursuit of kingdom growth by the power of the Spirit. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. But because you belong to Jesus Christ, you can begin new. You can begin fresh. You can begin today. Whether in home or among your children, at school, among your peers, or at the workplace, or in your community, you can begin now. 
because we recognize that we are instruments of our reigning Lord, instruments of the master craftsman, Jesus Christ. Let us turn our way over to him and trust him to use us in his kingdom in the way that is pleasing to him. Amen.